Hi, I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, my co-host Judy Scutch Whitson and I will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. Now here's your program. Judy, welcome. How are you doing? Oh, thank you, Matt. I've been looking forward to today. Great. Me too. I understand we have a lot to talk about here today. We're going to talk about wit. And before we do that, you have something you want to say about forgiveness. Can you tell us what's on your mind? Yeah. In this podcast series about forgiveness, according to the definition of forgiveness in the Course in Miracles, which is a non-dual system of philosophy and practice, um, forgiveness becomes something that is indeed very different than the world defines it. And so I thought once again, I would reiterate what is forgiveness in the world to us who study A Course in Miracles. And I love Lesson 121. Course has, as many of you know, 365 lessons. So we do one a day based upon its theory, which is contained in the text. So here goes with lesson 121, the first paragraph. It's called Forgiveness is the Key to Happiness. I love that. Forgiveness is the key to happiness. Here is the answer to your search for peace. Here is the key to meaning in a world that seems to make no sense. Here is the way to safety in apparent dangers that appear to threaten you at every turn and bring uncertainty to all your hopes of ever finding quietness and peace. Here are all questions answered. Here the end of all uncertainty ensured. At last. So that's a concept that we're promised in A Course in Miracles, if indeed we do practice forgiveness. And the practice of forgiveness goes on all the time. It's a choice we make, a choice between fear and love. Everything boils down to those two emotions. Forgiveness is the process by which we see that something or someone that we seem to have happened that's really unhappy to us, in truth, in our reality, hasn't happened at all. And therefore, in the world of form, which, as we're told in A Course of Miracles, we made, not God. God did not make this world. We did. In that world... We can easily understand how forgiveness can bring us peace of mind. Matt mentioned that today I'll be talking about wit. Yes. <laughs> and I think I'd better say who and what is wit. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> the word in itself, we can say, I don't care one wit or you have no wits about you. <laughs> but my husband's name was Dr. William Wallace Whitson, 
and therefore Wit became his short his short name. His nickname was Wit. I always called him that, although I was told that many people where he worked in the major part of his life before I ever met him, um, people called him Bill because he was a William. I would like to talk about Whit, the man I knew, loved, married, and was partner to in our study of A Course in Miracles for the rest of his life. He died a couple of years ago, February 8th, 1918 to be exact, and he is still very much with me. And the reason I wanted to talk about him today. Did you mean February 8th? When did he die? What year was that? Because you said February 8th. February 8th, 2018. Got it. Okay, got it. So that's two years ago. Got it. Um, The reason I want to talk about Whit is not only our very close relationship, which was one of the most beautiful relationships I've ever had in my life and was a thoroughly teaching relationship and accomplished a great deal along our path, our search for peace of mind is because I watched him as he started to study the course, which was three years after I received the manuscript. And I watched him start to apply the lessons as he was doing them each day. And one day we were then living in Washington, DC and Witt's job, his function, uh, He had as his title, Chief of Foreign Affairs and National Defense at the Library of Congress, which meant that he was in charge of a whole group of PhDs and their staff, I think 450 altogether, who helped do the research for the Congress and the Senate. Every time they would ask a question, about something that they had to know or about a place they had to visit and they didn't have the information, they would turn to their advisors at the Library of Congress and would get a position paper, giving them the pros and the cons of a situation or what a particular country was like. They were about to visit what their customers were, what were the foods they ate, how to greet people there. In other words, a prep course. So in my husband's work, um, he had a lot of challenges. And one day he was told by one of his staff members that one of the papers submitted to a certain senator who was at that time, I think, the head of House Intelligence was not acceptable and that the senator was very angry and didn't feel it was an appropriate answer to his question, and that which should appear in his office the next day where he would, quote, smell hell, unquote. Uh, By the way, that's a military term, I'm told. Okay. So, So my husband was, for the first time I ever saw him out of sorts, he was a wreck. I mean, he had to take responsibility because he was in charge. And uh, he had no idea what had gone wrong. And this was a pretty influential person. And, well, you can understand. He was scared stiff. He really was. And he was kind of a stoic. So for him to show fear, it was kind of remarkable. But he sure did. 
And I said to him, um, you know, there are ways that you're already studying, even though the course is kind of new to you, that you might prepare yourself for this meeting. What you need to do, of course, and he interrupted me as he said, I need to get the glow of, I need to let go of the sphere, don't I? And I said, yes, you do. Well, he knew as well as I do that that was something he couldn't do himself. So we both sat in quiet as we turned to the internal guide, our internal teacher, the Holy Spirit within, and asked for help in this situation. Please help Wit change his mind from fear to love in this situation. And then we went to sleep. And the next morning, bright and early off, he went to work. And when he came home that evening, he had quite a story to tell me. And it went like this. He said he was still a little bit nervous, but he kept on saying over and over again, there's nothing to fear. I choose the peace of God. And he got to the senator's office and the senator's secretary said, oh, is he angry? You better prepare yourself. <laughs> so so Witt said he took a gulp and he kept repeating, I want the peace of God. I want to see this man in love and not in fear. And he got into the office and the senator greeted him in politeness. But you could tell, as he said, he was gritting his teeth. And all of a sudden on the senator's desk, Witt saw a large framed picture of the senator and what looked like his family standing on the Great Wall in China. Now, my husband was a China expert, had lived in China for eight years, spoke Chinese fluently, and one of his strengths at the Library of Congress was his knowledge of China. And so he said, without even thinking, oh, senator, is that you and your family standing at the Great Wall in China? And the senator, yes, he said, last year we went there on vacation, he said, and it was without doubt the best trip of my life. We were all so delighted with the Chinese people and how they received us. And my kids loved the food and the novelty of it. And it's such a beautiful country. And for one hour, they talked about their love, their mutual love of China. And after an hour, the senator was buzzed by his secretary, who said, Senator, your next appointment is waiting. And the senator said, we must meet for lunch next week. And we must talk more about China because I so enjoy having someone knowledgeable to talk to about it. And which says, but one second, there was that paper that you didn't approve of. Oh, forget about it, he said. That's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I can truly say that miracles accompany asking for help in forgiveness. And in this sense, as you can tell, both of their minds joined as one on a pleasant experience, a happy experience, an experience full of love, and the memories that went, went with it. And their altercation that was about to come was totally forgotten, and these men became friends. What was, Witt, uh, what was his comments when he returned back home that day? Well, my husband was not very demonstrative. He was much, I was the one who was, <laughs> I, I had the ups and downs. I was much more dramatic. 
Oh, it was very, very steady. And he didn't remark with ecstasy about anything that happened or the opposite. So in telling me the story, he was shining and he didn't have to remark about it at all. Wow. So this is really early on. You're saying the course is still a, ma- a manuscript? No, no. He, the course was printed okay. uh, in its hardcover okay. in 1976. And it might be interesting to hear how did my husband get the course. And it yes. was not, not from me. Uh, I had a very good friend who has passed recently, re- not recently, but who died a while ago. And he was a congressman, and his name was Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose, the TV personality? No, I'm talking about a congressman who is now deceased, who was a very good friend of mine through A Course in Miracles. And uh, Charlie Rose had really dedicated himself to the study of this, attended a little group that had gathered in Washington and was, of course, in the same, you could say, line of work as my husband, because my husband was an advisor to the Congress. And we also had a mutual friend who introduced me to Charlie Rose, and to wit, by the way, named Milton Friedman, who was a presidential speechwriter. And is, this, is this the University of Chicago economist, Milton Friedman? No, no. <laughs> No, it's not. It's it's Milton Friedman. (laughs) We've got a lot lot of double names here. Milton Friedman, as I said, was a presidential speechwriter for many years. And he was also tremendously Southern. And one night he told me that Jimmy Carter, then president, called him on New Year's Eve. And uh, he he was told by the, I guess, I guess it was the person who made the call that the president wanted to speak with him. And the president got on thinking it was Milton Friedman, the economist. And he started to talk to him about the economy. And Milton Friedman was very wry and extremely Southern, as I said. I'm not going to imitate it well. All you Southerners, please forgive me. But he said, Mr. President, I'm so sorry. You don't have the Milton Friedman who help solve economic problems. You have the Milton Friedman who has economic <laughs> problems. So <laughs> my friend Milton Friedman was quite a, quite a character. And one day he called me and he said that uh, Charlie Rose and I want you to meet somebody who is in Washington and is one of the advisors at the Library of Congress for Congress, and he's studying A Course in Miracles. And so that's how I met my husband. I flew to Washington from California, where I was living then, and met him. And we talked about the course for about eight hours nonstop. (laughs) And it was very definitely a connection that was meant to be. So in that sense, you know, all of this is so interrelated as all our lives we see. If this hadn't happened, then that couldn't have happened. I call it connecting the dots. And so we'll come back to connecting the dots. Yeah. <laughs> and 
you asked me to talk about a little more, Matt, um, what my husband's reaction was with the course. Uh, I think this is a theory I have. I think that there is preparation for a plan. In other words, there is that which is God's plan. Course calls it God's plan for salvation. Each and every one of us has a part in it. No part is larger or smaller than another, although in the world of form, it might seem so. And in this plan, we almost feel at times that we're pre-programmed to recognize something or someone when it happens. And with my husband, as soon as he heard from our mutual friend, Milton Friedman, about A Course in Miracles, which Milton had known about since the early manuscript, since he was my very good friend for many years, and I had shared it with him. But as soon as he heard about it, he said to Milton Friedman, I would like to see that course. And so Milton took him to Charlie Rose's office, the congressman, where there was a a cabinet that was locked and opened the cabinet with a key. And in it were maybe 40 or 50 copies of the course. And they were distributing it from the congressman's inner office. I always thought that was very amusing. That's That's the way my husband came across the course. And then after starting to study it, since my husband wasn't used to going up a chain of command to speak to someone, but was used to saying, please call so-and-so who may have been the CEO of a corporation he wanted to speak with. He said, I want to meet the people right away who are responsible for this. And since I was the only one who was public, I was the one who was sent for to meet him. Not long after that, Witt did indeed meet Helen Shuckman, who's the scribe of the course, along with Dr. Bill Thetford. And uh, Bill and Witt then became, for the rest of their lives, lifelong friends. Uh, everything, as I said, is so intertwined. But I would like to touch upon another use I watched my husband make of the course of those days in which we lived in Washington, D.C. Um, he had a very good friend who was uh, um, one of the people responsible for producing a program, which I'm not even sure still exists, but in those days was very important. It was called Voice of America, and okay. it was our country's radio presence in the world and where we could have speakers, we could have news reports, etc., broadcast in many different languages of the world as coming directly from us. It was our early web communication device (laughs) (laughs) before there was the World Wide Web. And this particular uh, man who was sort of young um, had a big problem with his boss. And it seems his boss was very difficult and uh, had a a personality that many people didn't appreciate, but was particularly picking upon Witt's friend, Sig. And Sig was very sorry and sad and felt he might have to change his job. 
And one day, knowing we were studying A Course in Miracles, because what I told him about, he came over to the place, our apartment where we were living, and he asked my husband for help. He said, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm at my wit's end. And I really think that maybe you can advise me. And Whit thought about it. And he asked Sig to close his eyes with him. He said, I'm going to ask for higher help. And Sig said, okay. And then a few seconds later, Whit said, look, here is what I have been given to tell you. Every morning when you shave, you look at yourself in the mirror. Start looking at yourself and in your mind's eye, replace your own image with your boss. And even though you can't stand the guy, see him in the mirror and say to him, I love you. And Sig laughed. He said, that's a lot to do. It's a lot to ask. (laughs) And my husband said, try it. It doesn't cost you anything. Are you willing to try it? He said, of course, I'll try anything. And the weeks went by, and we heard from Sig that, lo and behold, it was working. He stopped feeling fearful of the man, and every time he saw him, he smiled at him. And after a while, his boss started to smile back to him, at him. And then within about altogether four or five months, there was no friction between them whatsoever. And one day, my husband and I happened to be in a taxi cab going down Massachusetts Avenue to get to an appointment. And we stopped at a red light. And there was our friend Sig standing on a street corner waiting for a cab or a bus And out from behind him came his boss. And the reason we knew it was his boss is because it turned out he had never mentioned his boss's name, but Whit knew the man very well indeed. And we saw them look at each other and put their arms around each other and rock back and forth as if they were really old friends seeing each other after a long time. And Whit looked at me and he said, it's finished. <laughs> That's great. You got to, to witness these healing moments. That's great. Wit- witnesses is right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yes, it, it was fascinating to me, Matt, because um, this was something I was watching. I was watching someone very close to me who I deeply cared for, use the course at the beginning of his study and how he went right into applying it without question. I once did ask him, I knew he was very intelligent (laughs) and certainly much more than I, uh, but I said to him, how come you seem to know the course as well as I do And I've been studying it for three years longer than you. And he looked at me and he said, I seem to know it as soon as I saw it. Now, a lot of people I'm told have that reaction. They open it up and there's recognition. And so he did not find any difficulty or any resistance in reading the words. 
The only resistance was in dealing with one's ego and recognizing all the layers of guilt we hold for so many years about so many things and stripping them away the way you would peel an onion, skin by skin, and doing the hard work of the course. Yeah. So what did he, what did he struggle with? I, I say that because I still struggle with the concept of forgiveness and that my ego reflex is so strong that I, I like to see that the whatever's happening on the screen is real. And then out of my generosity, I overlook it. And I know that's not what the course is saying at all. You know, it's saying no. it's not real. That's right. Not overlooking it or not being better than the other person because you can forgive and she can't or he can't, but rather turning within for help. See, I think this part is integral. We can't do this ourselves. There's a line in the course, and I hope I'm quoting it correctly. Forgiveness does nothing. It stands silently by, and it talks about waiting for our invitation. We have to say to ourselves, I am making a choice here. I choose to forgive rather than to hold this person in darkness and to be in darkness myself. Please help me do it. It's really important because this is impossible for the ego to do, but for the higher self, it's not only possible, it's natural, it's normal. And my husband, of course, struggled with it. So do I, even still. After 45 years, I catch myself and I say, ah, I thought I was finished with this. Of course, I'm not. And it crops up again. The only difference I noticed in my own use of forgiveness in the course as a process is that I catch it sooner and it's over quicker. So there is a time speed up here, if you'll call it that with me, uh, whereby I am much more consciously aware that I want to change my mind about this right now, even when it's happening. And that perhaps is maybe the only difference because I've had it so long and it has been the focus of my life. But anyone can with practice. Practice, of course, we know perfectly well, is what's absolutely necessary in every situation, whether you want to become a world-class pianist or uh, whether you want your art to be as perfect as you can make it, whether you want to write a good poem, whether you want to be a good parent, whatever, practice. And it's the same thing with the course. How much we practice is relevant to how much we change. So here is something that happened in my life much later with my husband, Whit, that I witnessed, and <laughs> here we go again, Whit, that I witnessed yes. and, and was part of. Uh, and this is a very personal story, and it may be a little difficult for me to tell, but our foundation for inner peace had very strong guidance to accept into our plan for publishing the course, the concept that many people wanted the course in their own languages and whether we were going to publish it 
in other languages or not wasn't even a question. Helen had said, no translations over my dead body. By this time, she was dead. <laughs> so <laughs> we did react to the many people who started to translate it by themselves, but needed permission from us since we were the copyright holder. And we asked uh, more than a few times until we were really sure whether we should participate in helping a translator translate this course. And we got over and over again, yes, now was the time. And so we were actually given a plan on how to do it. Uh, there was no question whatsoever that Ken Wapnick, uh, who was the first teacher of the course and has left a wonderful legacy of material that is not only still relevant, will still probably be where anyone can go to learn at the depth that he was teaching. Uh, so much material is online. Ken Wapnick would be the teacher. He was on our board of directors. And as I said, he and I were assigned to be brother and sister by Helen Shuckman, the scribe. And uh, that my husband, who had experience in management, uh, not only at the Library of Congress, but in his 23 years in the military, and he retired as a colonel, he had been trained to really know how to take responsibility and take a project and finish it to the end. So they were the two we had, my husband, Witt, and my brother, Ken, together in a partnership. From the beginning, problems arose, basically because we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we had to learn along the way. Certainly, Ken knew how to teach the course. Certainly, Witt knew how to manage. But what to do when, for instance, Ken decided in the beginning of his teaching that the course must be translated word for word. And the translators had a very hard time with that because their own language, the form was very different than English. And translating it word for word would make it not really legible. In fact, someone said one of the translations we were doing was not French, and it wasn't English, it was Fringlish, <laughs> which no one would understand. So we had to be very careful of that. And Ken was quite attached to the attitude that it must be translated word for word because he wasn't sure in any other way that the translator would really understand what he or she was translating and that it had to be, therefore, in the same form in which the English was given. Interestingly enough, we came across the line in the course which gave us total permission to see that the Holy Spirit was showing us exactly what Jesus had dictated to Helen, that the, the form in a translation must be changed, but never the content. So therefore, we now had something to go by which says that it's perfectly okay to change the form because you must 
change the form if you translate it to another language. But bad blood had already begun. And I must say that both Wit and Ken were very polite and forbearing people, and they didn't have any real argument, but they had a basic disagreement. And it was making it very uncomfortable, especially for me, because I love the two of them. There was no question of who was right and who was wrong. It was a question of changing the attitude from fear of each other's way or disrespect, I could say, to being in harmony. And so our guidance was, we were then living in California, to go back to New York City where Ken was living and would actually have a meeting with him face-to-face to discuss these issues. And each of us, I'm sure, had our own speech prepared in our minds as to what we would say and why we were right. I love it the way the Course says, would you rather be right or happy? This was one of the times that we certainly wanted to be happy, but we also wanted to do what was right, not be right, but do what was right for the translations of the Course. And so here were these two men about to meet. Witt and I flew to New York City, and we stayed at a hotel overnight. And Ken was supposed to meet us for breakfast in the morning and spend the day. And Witt was very, very tense. I'm sure that Gloria, Ken's wife, would say the same about Ken that day. Very, very tense because he felt this one was going to be a pivotal and very difficult meeting, and maybe even the translation program with them heading it might have to be stopped. And the night before, we went to sleep, even though he was very tense and he was fretting out loud a lot about it. He couldn't see any way of resolving this. I then reminded him, as he often reminded me, let's ask for help. And so we said a prayer that is in the Course, and we said it out loud together, and we went to sleep with it in our minds. And it is, I am here only to be truly helpful. I am here to represent him who sent me. I do not have to worry about what to say or what to do, because he who sent me will direct me. I am content to be wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. I will be healed as I let him teach me to heal. And we got up in the morning, and I was getting the breakfast together, and I heard my husband whistling in the shower. And I thought, that's good news. He sounds very happy. And he came out, and we had our breakfast, and he told me he felt totally released. Oh, he said, there, there isn't a problem. And I said, I'm glad to hear that. At that moment, the doorbell of our hotel room rang and Wit opened it. And Ken was standing there quite pale indeed. I guess he had a lot of apprehension about this meeting too. And before I knew what happened, Wit opened his arms 
Ken walked right into his arms. They held each other very, very close. It was over. It was nothing to discuss. Now, did they work out the details? They didn't even have to. There was no animosity and no difference of opinion. There wasn't even a decision made that, yes, the form had to be changed, but never the content. It was already assumed in that embrace. It was already given to the two of them to know it together. To me, that was one of the most moving moments of my life. And it was pivotal for our translation program. And after that, since together, they produced 28 translations of the course. And although Ken isn't with us anymore, nor is Wit, more are still coming, we have a very good template to follow. In that sense, I saw in front of my eyes, the miracle of forgiveness. When two people who had been estranged were joined as one. Were you kind of taken aback when Witt and Ken hugged like that and you could just knew it was over, just witnessing the, the miracle? They were so in the moment, Matt, that no one was taken aback. It was the most natural thing. It's as if the mind, let's say the mind that the ego thinks with, which we call wrong-mindedness, suddenly wasn't there. And only the higher mind, the mind governed by love, or the right mind, was only present. There was nothing to explain. There was no reason to be surprised. The shift had happened. Wow, that's a great story. How do you think, how do you think, the, what do you think the most important lesson is here for course students that are listening or saying, wow, I really want to integrate what Judy just talked about into my life? What would you tell them? I would think that. I say it over and over again, but I guess I do because it's true for me, that for forgiveness to happen, one first needs to recognize that forgiveness is necessary. If you have a relationship with someone and you haven't spoken to her or to him for years because of the antipathy you have to each other, because of what one did to the other that the other one can't forget, and therefore both are angry, um, you'll stay that way. But if you recognize that there is another way and that you're tired of that and you would like to see it change and you would like to be reunited with this long-lost friend or you would like not to hold a grudge against this person who's just an acquaintance, that's part of the battle to recognize, number one, that you no longer want unforgiveness in your heart. And then the second step to me is to recognize that you can't do it alone, that you know what the problem is, and you're willing for it to be changed, but you can't do it alone. You haven't in all these years, 
or you happened in this last five seconds, you can't do it alone. And therefore, turn to the part within, the higher self within. Holy Spirit, we call it, but you could call it any name you choose, my internal teacher, the course calls it that too. The part of you that is connected directly to your source. The Holy Spirit is called in A Course of Miracles, the voice for God, not the voice of God, the voice for God. It is the connector between us who think we live in a world of form and our source, which knows our reality is in God. So recognizing that you want the problem changed, you want forgiveness to happen, you want the miracle is the first thing. Deciding to ask for the help is the second thing. Now, you don't have to be a thousand percent willing. You just have to be a bit willing to do this. (laughs) Just a bit willing. And when you say, okay, this is what I would like. I would like this unforgiveness in me to be gone. And I don't know how to do it myself. And I still think that she's wrong or he's wrong. And I don't want to feel that way anymore. Please help me. You can be sure that you are going to get that help. Do you think what you're, is this dovetail then with like the rules for decision-making in the course? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and if you want to talk about that, that's fine too. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe you could just introduce that subject because I was, it just popped into my mind. How do you think about that? Well, the rules for decision-making is pretty close to that. In fact, the, I've given you my adaptation, by the way. Yes. I'm not quoting the course all the time. Yeah. I'm giving it to you the way that I find it best works for me. But the rule for decision-making is recognizing you have a problem, recognizing also the problem has already been solved. Why has the problem already been solved? Because the problem exists only in the world of form, in the world of duality, which we have made. But in our true existence, which is not in duality, the problem doesn't exist. And recognizing we need the help and therefore asking for it. So that has to do with decision making. But isn't the greatest decision we have to make is to forgive, not only to forgive other people or to forgive a system or to forgive a rule and a regulation or to forgive someone who bumps into your car, but to forgive yourself thinking this is a reality. That is the most important of all. There's a part in the rules for decision-making that says, in, this is where I get, I find myself the most is that I'm stuck in ego. And it says, well, if none of that works, you can at least just say, I don't like the way I'm feeling right now. Just acknowledge that. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that's, and that's where I go. Yes, I, I can say that. I'm, I'm, I'm not liking the way I'm feeling right now. Well, it's a best step uh, yeah. is recognizing. That's like recognizing the problem recognizing I don't like what I'm feeling. doesn't feel good. I don't feel at peace. I'm not happy. So what do you do? Stop then? (laughs) Or do you say, I would rather feel different about this, but I don't know how. And then comes, if I don't know how, who does? 
the part of myself that knows best does. Oh, great, great stories about, uh, about wit and so many ways we've integrated puns in here, Judy, it seems like puns are part of the <laughs> course tradition. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Well, we had with us for so many years, the greatest punster I thought of all time. And that was Bill Thetford, Helen's co-scribe. He made everything so funny all the time. So our study in the early days when I first came to the course was just riddled with Bill's puns and we'd give him grades on them. He could have a pun that was only worth 30% (laughs) because it was really pretty awful or he could just hit one out of the field. I remember when we were thinking of moving and living all together and uh, actually Helen had written something down once that indicated that a group of people would live together and practice the course uh, and help each other completely. And we assumed at that time, since there were no other groups that we knew about, that we were probably that group. And I was then looking for a place uh, for us all to live together. And Jerry Jampolsky was going to be included in that too. So that would include Helen and her husband, Louie, Ken Wapnick, Bill Thefford, Jerry Jampolsky, my husband, Bob Scutch, and myself. <laughs> and sounded like a good idea. And I couldn't find a place. And then I found out that none of the others really wanted to do this. <laughs> and therefore, no one wanted to say it. But when we finally sat down, it turned out no one wanted to. And Bill looked at everyone with a very uh, calm and wry face. And he said, well, then, he said, we all know that heaven is our real estate. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. That's just an example. Yeah, I, yeah, we yeah. threatened all the time to write a book of Bill's puns. And you know something? It's like when you have a kid and you absolutely promise yourself you're going to keep a record of everything wonderful your child says. And you start out maybe with a couple of things and years later you realize you never did it. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, Judy, what a beautiful, beautiful collection of stories you have about Wit. I'm sure you have a lot more. And I know he really made an impression on everybody because I know everybody that's met him in person that I've talked to just when they say his name, that you could tell he really had an impression on them. So I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to meet him, but I'm glad we have these stories and that you can recall them for all the listeners. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate it. It's it's very it's still very healing for me to be able to talk with him with no pain and no suffering that we are not together now. Uh I feel his presence all the time. And the last thing that we were talking about before he died is we both knew absolutely there is no death. There is no death. I am not a body. I am free. I am as God created me. So that which we are in truth is eternal. And knowing that makes me feel very happy, but talking about it makes me happy too. So thank you, Matt, so much for this opportunity today. Yes, and now we're at our wits end. And we'll say... (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I should tell you this. 
I always, when people say something to me about, um, oh, you're learning that pretty well. I say, I'm still a half wit, but my husband is the other half. So we make a whole. <laughs> <laughs> well, Judy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. This was a great episode. I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it. And a lot of a lot of integrating course principles in here that are helpful to me. So thank you. And I'll look forward to the next podcast. So will I. A great deal. Bye-bye, Matt. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Mm